You can save 15% or more at Amazon when you pay with Bitcoin or Bitcoin Cash. Just go to purse.bogosity.tv. You can set your own discount. 5% gets you fastest delivery, or you can set it to 30% or more if you're not in a hurry. Purse makes it so easy to save money at Amazon by buying with crypto. Just go to purse.bogosity.tv and start saving now. Welcome to the Bogosity Podcast for the week of October 27th, 2019. The podcast that stepped straight through the firmament and rested on a beam. This is your host, Shane Killian. Let's hepatize the news of the bogus. So first, we'll start off with a bit of good news in the area of asset forfeiture. Although, of course, it's a real wonder why it hasn't been thrown out as completely unconstitutional yet. We've talked about cases where state troopers use them to shake down drivers for cash, cops look for seizable property in the homes of victims, and where people have lost their cars and even their homes with no compensation or any real way of getting them back, having not been so much as charged with any crime. The Supreme Court has already found that asset forfeiture was unconstitutional in a case involving Indiana, and that rested on the Eighth Amendment's prohibition of excessive fines, but that doesn't seem to have really slowed it down much, let alone stopped it. Well now, South Carolina Circuit Court Judge Stephen H. John has ruled the state's civil asset forfeiture law in violation of the Constitution's 4th, 5th, and 14th Amendments, as well as the state constitution. He ruled that forfeiture without conviction makes any seizure unconstitutional. Judge John ruled, This court finds that South Carolina's forfeiture statutes violate both the federal and South Carolina constitutional protections against excessive fines. By permitting the government to seize unlimited amounts of cash and other property without regard to the proportionality of the crime that may have been committed. Indeed, they allow the government to seize unlimited amounts of cash and other property when no crime has been committed, without a criminal conviction, and without proof of a crime having been committed beyond a determination of probable cause. For example, South Carolina's forfeiture statutes would allow law enforcement to seize millions in assets from an individual when the maximum fine authorized by law is minimal or when no crime has been committed at all. This unfettered authorization to seize unlimited amounts of property from citizens without regard to the proportionality of the offense committed, indeed without evidence proving that the individual committed an offense, compels this court to find that the statutory scheme is unconstitutional and must be invalidated under the federal and state constitutional prohibitions on excessive fines. Additionally, he found that, quote, The requirement under South Carolina's forfeiture statutes that property owners prove their innocence, placing the burden of proof on the property owner, violates the due process clauses of the federal and South Carolina constitutions. They unconstitutionally shift the burden of proof to defendants who, in some cases, are not even charged with a crime. But he wasn't through. His second point found that the law unconstitutionally incentivizes forfeiture actions. Because the revenues generated by the forfeiture programs are used to pay the expenses of the forfeiture programs to justify the salaries of forfeiture employees and to maintain a level of discretionary spending that would not otherwise be available to the agencies involved, enforcement personnel have an institutional financial incentive to vigorously pursue forfeitures regardless of the merits of the action. And his third point was, In practice, many seizures under South Carolina's forfeiture laws are not followed up by the filing of a forfeiture action, leaving many defendants with the choice of retaining an attorney to file a civil action against the state or simply allowing law enforcement to keep their money or property. 
This court finds that South Carolina's forfeiture procedures violate the 5th and 14th Amendments of the U.S. Constitution and Article 1, Section 3 of the South Carolina Constitution because they do not provide for judicial review or judicial authorization prior to or subsequent to the seizure. So there. Civil asset forfeiture is absolutely unconstitutional from multiple angles. Now, at the present time, this decision just affects this one case in South Carolina, but it's one that can be called as precedent by other South Carolina courts, and law enforcement may see fit to appeal. Here's hoping the ultimate result is the complete death of asset forfeiture in all its forms. Ads are annoying, but ad blockers prevent publishers from making money. What if you could support your favorite websites, YouTube creators, Twitch streamers, social accounts, and many more ad-free and without paying anything, and even make some money yourself? It's not a pipe dream, it's airtime. Go to airtime.bogosity.tv and get the browser extension, and you'll earn cryptocurrency for the sites you visit, and so will the publisher. This is not a crypto miner. You and the publisher will both get part of the reward from current miners of the BitTube cryptocurrency, with no middleman taking a cut. Even if the publisher hasn't signed up yet, his tube will be put into a dedicated wallet that he can claim upon sign-up. You can also use your tube to tip publishers and even purchase products. Airtime monetizes users and publishers with no ads or crypto miners. Go to airtime.bogosity.tv and start making money now. Say, if you're tired of the promos in this podcast, well, the patrons got it early and with no ads or promos. Just go to patreon.bogosity.tv and donate at any level. And now back to bad news, and in this case, not just a bad law, but a weird one as well. California has passed Assembly Bill 5, which, according to Assemblywoman Lorena Gonzalez, the greedy sociopath who authored the bill, will, quote, create new good jobs and a livable, sustainable wage job. What it actually does is severely limit what the self-employed are allowed to do. The bill is aimed at the so-called misclassification of independent contractors working for companies like Lyft and Uber. Apparently, they're really employees, which basically means that they should have to give the state more of their money, and in many cases be required to join a union as well. And if you want the motivations for this law laid bare, just look at what it would do to freelance journalists. The journalist is capped at 35 submissions per year per employer. That's less than what a journalist would have to write in a month just to pay the bills. Gonzalez claims she spoke to dozens of freelance journalists while writing the law. Well, dozens of actual freelance journalists sounded off on her Twitter profile, and they are not happy. Freelance writer Amy Lamari said, Everyone's freaking out, like my anxiety is going through the damn roof. Another freelance writer, Ariana Jarrett, said that being able to freelance gave her numerous benefits, including working around her children's school schedules and appointments. Quote, There were just all of these benefits for my ability to still be an active parent in my kids' lives and also support us financially that I just couldn't find anywhere in a steady job with anybody. Gonzalez, by the way, is a former labor organizer, so how much of this is really about protecting her union buddies? Of course, the actual result from this will be that firms simply won't work with freelancers from California, especially those who would qualify for state-mandated employee benefits. So I guess this will be a boon to workers who live elsewhere. 
By the way, this will also be bad for minority workers. Although 62% of journalists overall are non-Hispanic whites, if you look at newsroom employees, that number jumps to 77%. It's just 62% among freelancers, so freelancers are a more diverse group. Hmm, progressive policies hurting minorities? That's never happened before! If you're on the Wi-Fi in a coffee shop or hotel, anyone on that network can get your traffic. Do you really trust all of those strangers? For that matter, do you really trust your ISP? A VPN can protect you from prying eyes, disguise your location, and even foil government censors. It's essential in this day and age, so go to vpn.pagosity.tv and you'll be taken to BoxPN. Starting at just $2.99 a month, you can get unlimited high-speed connections to VPN servers all over the world, and they don't log connections, so your privacy is assured. Traveling abroad, just VPN home, and don't worry about what those other governments are doing. Back at home, stop your ISP from traffic shaping and messing with the quality internet access you're paying good money for. You can connect from multiple machines at once, including your smartphone or tablet, and it supports all the secure standards, including OpenVPN and SSTP. Bypass sensors and surveillance with your own secure VPN connection. Go to vpn.pagosity.tv. a big story, but one that's pretty significant and just a little bit ironic. We've covered the importance of encrypting our information, but we've also covered the opposition a lot of governments have to it, in particular the British government, whose GDPR opposes it, it has a lot of enemies in Parliament, and law enforcement all but considers it to be tacit evidence of guilt. So it's interesting that the BBC, the government-run TV and radio network in the UK, has set up a new tour mirror on the dark web. Tor is an encrypted network that can act in a way similar to a VPN, protecting the first mile from spying in man-in-the-middle attacks and hiding your point of origin from the destination website. Although there are a lot of other privacy issues it's not in a position to solve and need to be addressed through other means, it's generally accessed through a special browser known as the Tor browser, a fork of Firefox. Some other browsers such as Brave also support Tor. But Tor also acts as an encrypted network in its entirety, known as the Dark Web. Websites exist on the Tor network with the .onion TLD, and since DNS lookups don't work on it, the domain name is some random mess .onion that corresponds to a way of contacting the Tor node needed to connect you to the site. The general idea is to bookmark the sites you wish to visit over and over again. The Beep said in a statement, The BBC World Service's news content is now available on the Tor network to audiences who live in countries where BBC news is being blocked or restricted. This is in line with the BBC World Service mission to provide trusted news around the world. The upshot is that now anyone can visit the Beeb online, even if they're in a country that's trying to block access to their news website or programs, like China, Iran, and Vietnam. It will include their entire international site, including foreign language versions in Arabic, Persian, Russian, and other languages. It will not, however, have UK-only content and services due to broadcast licensing restrictions. So this could get interesting. The next time some lord or MP or GDPR stooge talks about how only terrible people are encrypting and putting their sites on the dark web, what are they going to do when we shove their own BBC in their faces?
We live in a world where light bulbs connect to the internet, and recent attacks on them prove that your online security is under threat like never before. Not only your websites, but the internet-enabled devices you buy. And the biggest problem is weak passwords. That's why you need LastPass. LastPass allows you to randomly generate strong, unique passwords on the web and on your internet-enabled devices, all protected by one master password. LastPass sets up in minutes and gives you secure automatic logins throughout the web, synchronizing across all your browsers, all your computers, and even your mobile devices, at home, at work, or on the road. It even securely stores sensitive form data, including credit card numbers, backup sensitive documents, software licenses, Wi-Fi logins, and more. And with LastPass Premium, you can get these benefits on other applications, manage passwords for your entire family, and also get priority customer support. Sign up at password.bogosity.tv for a free month of LastPass Premium. Log in securely everywhere using the last password you'll ever have to remember. Go to password.bogosity.tv and get LastPass now. Speaking of encryption, Comcast has come out as the latest hater of DNS over HTTPS, a standard that we've been needing for 25 years now to encrypt DNS entries and secure them from spying and spoofing. Comcast, which is predicted to control over half of America's internet traffic by the end of the year, is lobbying federal lawmakers to make it harder for web browsers such as Chrome and Firefox to encrypt DNS lookups. As it is, almost all of Comcast's users make their DNS lookups through Comcast, so right now, they see it all. And since it's non-encrypted, it's vulnerable to spoofing attacks from hackers who can change the address of websites to point to sites under their control, where they can install malware onto your machine, sniff your password, and commit other nefarious acts. Comcast has prepared slide presentations for lawmakers that have been leaked. According to the presentations, quote, The unilateral centralization of DNS raises serious policy issues relating to cybersecurity, privacy, antitrust, national security and law enforcement, network performance and service quality, including 5G, and other areas. One slide reads, Congress should demand that Google pause and answer key questions. Another asks, Why is Google in such a rush? Yeah, it's only been more than two decades! According to Marshall Irwin, Senior Director of Trust and Safety at Mozilla, quote, The slides overall are extremely misleading and inaccurate, and frankly, I would be somewhat embarrassed if my team had provided that slide deck to policymakers. We are trying to essentially shift the power to collect and monetize people's data away from ISPs and providing users with control and a set of default protections. It's absolutely ridiculous for them to call this centralization. Centralization is users being tied to their ISPs for this service. Now, users of Chrome, Firefox, and browsers forked from them will have a choice of secure DNS providers, including Google, Cloudflare, Quad9, and probably many others. If using a single provider proves to be too much of an issue, multiple providers could be used in a round-robin fashion. Not that you'd know any of that from reading Comcast slides. They're even using the whole going dark argument that law enforcement won't be able to see where people go, never mind that they can still see the IP addresses they're connecting from and to, and police can make requests of these DNS providers just like they can Comcast. As Erwin pointed out, quote, What this deck is attempting to do is take advantage of a lot of anti-Google sentiment that exists right now, built on top of that an inaccurate account of exactly what we are doing to stop that deployment. 
The one real truthful point in this ISP lobbying effort is the DOH does represent a fundamental shift in the way the web works, and that's deliberate on our part. And as Ellen Canali, director of Mozilla's Corporate Communications, wrote, This is part of a pretty aggressive campaign we've seen from the ISPs to protect their control over DNS traffic and the tracking opportunities it provides them. The Electronic Frontier Foundation, in cooperation with Consumer Reports and the National Consumers League, wrote a response to Congress where they said, The information provided to Congress is not reflective of what DOH represents, which is a long-overdue Internet privacy upgrade that can be used by any DNS resolver service. A long-overdue technological shift toward online privacy is underway. Congress should not aim to hinder this shift and leave the Internet less secure out of sympathy to the commercial interests of those who have exploited insecurities. Congress should support systemic adoption of DOH in order to close up one of the largest privacy gaps remaining on the Internet while furthering the cause of Internet freedom in many parts of the world in dire need of it. Out of the need for damage control, a Comcast spokesthing said... We are supporters of encrypting DNS and want to make sure that it is implemented in a careful, collaborative manner for the benefit of Internet customers to ensure that important parental controls, cybersecurity protections, and network security features are not broken in the process. Then why don't you do it? You've had 20 years! The browser makers are having to take this step because ISPs won't! And that puts the lie to every single thing they said. Do you have children or nieces or nephews? Are you homeschooling or just want to counter some of the socialist indoctrination most children get in school? If so, go to bogosity.tv slash Tuttle Twins and you'll be taken to a website where you can get some great books for elementary age children. The Tuttle Twins books are books about liberty and free market economics that include children's versions of Bastiat's The Law, Leonard Reed's I Pencil, and Hayek's The Road to Serfdom, as well as books about the Federal Reserve and how regulations protect business cronies. They'll learn about the harm caused by eminent domain or regulations passed in the name of safety and fundamental concepts of liberty. And as you can see from the sample pages on the website, they're all easy to read and nicely illustrated. They're just $9.99 a piece, or get a special discount as well as free bonuses when you purchase all five. You can even buy in bulk to donate to schools and local libraries. So get the Tuttle Twins books at bogosity.tv slash Tuttle Twins. And now let's pre-qualify this week's biggest bogan emitter. And if you're wondering why Comcast didn't get it, check out the Oregon Court of Appeals, who just went against what most other courts in the nation have said and claimed that a woman can be made to turn over her iPhone password without it being a Fifth Amendment violation because, get this, they already know she has one. So this is a woman no one's going to defend morally. She was high on meth when she crashed her car into a tree, injuring an adult and five children passengers. The police wanted to search her iPhone, and they wanted her to turn over her passcode so they can unlock it. Courts in the past have rejected such a demand as a request for contents of the person's mind, and thus a violation of the Fifth Amendment's protection against self-incrimination. But the Oregon court said that the Fifth Amendment doesn't apply because the fact that she knows her password is a foregone conclusion. That language is important, because courts have recognized a foregone conclusion exception to the Fifth Amendment, and the precedent was set down in Fisher v. United States. But here's the thing. The exception applies to the documents themselves and must apply to particular documents. 
Prosecutors had wanted to get into the woman's iPhone so they could engage in a fishing expedition, building a case that she was dealing meth, which had nothing to do with the crime they were charging her with. The charge of dealing was later dismissed. The Fifth Amendment is there to protect against exactly that sort of general warrant. By wanting her passcode, they didn't just want the passcode, they didn't just want her phone, they wanted access to every single document on the phone. That is a general warrant. And in a similar case in Florida, where a drunk driver crashed their car and killed multiple passengers, then refused to unlock their iPhone, the Florida Court of Appeals refused a request from police to compel production of the passcode because of the content of one's mind argument. But they actually went beyond that, saying that law enforcement's argument that the defendant simply knows the password makes it a foregone conclusion exception is not enough. They needed to show that there was specific evidence needed to prosecute the case on the device. Not a suspicion, not even a reasonable certainty that the person could unlock the device. And so the Florida court found, quote, Because the state did not show with any particularity knowledge of the evidence within the phone, the trial court could not find that the contents of the phone were already known to the state and thus within the foregone conclusion exception. And the Oregon court just went back on that. There's no information of yet as to what effect, if any, this will have on other cases. Hopefully it won't, and courts will continue their trend of protecting people's passwords, but either way, it's enough to get the Oregon Court of Appeals named this week's biggest bogan emitter. You can now get two free audiobook downloads and a 30-day free trial at audible.bogosity.tv, your choice from the world's largest selection of over 180,000 digital audiobooks and spoken word content for your iOS or Android device, Kindle, or MP3 player. Go to audible.bogosity.tv now. And now let's reinstitutionalize this week's Idiot And this week it goes to the MPA and the RIAA for their attack on Cloudflare, not for their DOH service, although at this point it honestly wouldn't surprise me, but because they claim that the CND provider is a haven for pirates. They filed a complaint to the U.S. Trade Representative about several notorious markets, which included piracy sites, apps, and services. Cloudflare couldn't be explicitly listed because it's an American company, but that didn't stop them from claiming throughout their document that Cloudflare assists pirates with their infringing activities. They claim that Cloudflare works by hiding where the website is located, as if it's a reverse VPN or something. The Digital Citizens Alliance, which is affiliated with Hollywood rather than actual citizens, has even claimed to help pirate sites to deliver malware. Cloudflare's general counsel Doug Kramer responded, saying what every sane person already knows. Their claims about Cloudflare are not at all accurate. Quote, My colleagues and I were frustrated to find continued misrepresentations of our business and efforts to malign our services. We again feel called on to clarify that Cloudflare does not host the referenced websites, cannot block websites, and is not in the business of hiding companies that host illegal content, all facts well known to the industry groups based on our ongoing work with them. Kramer expresses frustration with how copyright holders rehash complaints, making the same claims over and over again, even when they've already been rebutted, like we're also seeing with the encryption debate. For example, as to the malware claim, quote, 
Our system uses the collective intelligence from all the properties on our network to support and immediately update our web application firewall, which can block malware at the edge and prevent it from reaching a site's origin server. This protects the many content creators who use our services for their websites, as well as the users of their websites, from malware. The DCA have also been acting in bad faith, according to Kramer. Quote, Despite our repeated attempts to get additional information by either phone or email, DCA canceled at least three scheduled calls and declined to provide any specific information that would have allowed us to verify the existence of the malware and protect users from malicious activity online. Kramer also points out Cloudflare's trusted reporter program, which rights holders can use to find the hosting locations of infringing websites and which the RIAA uses frequently. So it's not just that they're lying, it's that their lies have become so desperate that we can clearly see, if it hadn't already been evident, that they're a dying industry desperately trying to cling on to their dinosaur of a business model. So all of that makes the MPA and the RIAA this week's wraps up this Two Lost Souls Swimming in a Fishbowl edition of the Bogosity Podcast. Come to discord.bogosity.tv where you can join the discussion and post a question, statement, news article, or rant. This podcast depends on you to keep going, so please go to donate.bogosity.tv where you can give using PayPal or crypto, or subscribe at Patreon or Subscribestar to get the podcast and YouTube videos early and ad-free. You can even support this podcast for free with the airtime extension. Thank you for listening. Until next time, here's a quote from Tyler Winklevoss. We have elected to put our money and faith in a mathematical framework that is free of politics and human error. The Bogosity Podcast is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution on Commercial Literative 4.0 International License. Bogosity. Christmas time is coming, and the most classic of Christmas stories is A Christmas Carol. But how much do you know about the original Charles Dickens novella? Have you dismissed it as a children's book with one-dimensional characters amounting to nothing but platitudes and cliches? Maybe your appreciation of the book was even muted by those dry, boring, annotated books they made you read in school. My book, the sarcastically annotated A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens, uses both facts and humor to present the book in a way you probably haven't seen it before. Giving praise when deserved and beratement when warranted, this book is put in the perspective of its time and shows a dimensional, multi-layered Ebenezer Scrooge from start to finish. Skepticism, history, and even economics are employed to show the book in relation to today in an easily accessible format. Appreciate the Christmas of your youth all over again, Get the sarcastically annotated A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens, available at Amazon and on PDF as well.